And the thing is, after all these years, I still look back with wonder. Happy Friday, Wonderlings! This is Angela Bowen, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. So, if you listen to yesterday's Teacher Appreciation podcast episode featuring season two episode two our miss white and also from season three episode 20 entitled goodbye which is where we bid a sad farewell to mr collins kevin's math teacher well this is teacher appreciation podcast episode number two this is part two yesterday was part one we got a couple other teachers to uh give a shout out to here we got season three episode 16 entitled the glee club and yes this teacher and the next teacher were a blink like a an episode and that was it but they still left lasting impressions on kevin arnold so in the glee club the eighth grade boys glee club can't seem to carry a tune but a new teacher named miss haycock is determined to rectify that and also from season five, episode 13, entitled Kodachrome, which I'm sure is not how that's pronounced. In this episode, Kevin's English teacher, Miss Shaw, has some rather unorthodox methods of teaching. While the class enjoys these new methods, they don't sit well with the school board or Jack, Kevin's father. I added that part. So, also, I don't want to forget a special teacher that has been since season one all the way up through, I believe, season four. Coach, whoopsie, um, <laughs> Coach Cutlip, I want to play the scene, the iconic scene, the memorable scene we all remember Coach Cutlip from. That is season one episode. I cannot talk. Season 1, Episode 2, entitled Swingers. That is the Sex Ed and Phys Ed class episode. Although there's more to the episode, but I just, I want to play as a salute, shout out to Coach Cutlip. Because guys, he was a memorable teacher. He was around for at least four seasons of the show. And I would be remiss if I didn't give him a shout out. So that's what I'm going to do. Here's the clip. Reproductive system. <laughs> Among the many great historical milestones of 1968, perhaps the greatest was the advent of sex education in the schools. <laughs> now, if I hear any giggling, if I see any smirking, this class is over. Do you read me, people? Over. The female reproductive organs look like this. <laughs> He's got a little book. Unfortunately, it looked more like a cow's head to me. Now, who can tell me what these are? Apparently, I wasn't alone. 
the ovaries. The ears would be up here. Uh, why don't you drop a whole lady? So we know where everything goes. Suddenly it became very clear why Mr. Cutlip had never been married. Any man who saw women that way would have no reason to. Now, the ovaries, of course, are the site of ovulation. As Mr. Cutlip Five, went on, one fact two, became increasingly evident. Sex in the hands of public educators is not a pretty thing. Ova is actually the plural of ovum of approximately 28 days. And that... In a nutshell, is the story of ovulation. Questions? Yes. When do we start football? Never. All right, I'm going to hand out your textbooks now. <laughs> Health and human sexuality. Textbooks? For Wednesday, people, you will read chapters <laughs> one and two. Do not read ahead. Repeat. Do not... Read ahead. <laughs> Chapter 14, The Human Reproductive Cycle. Telling us not to read ahead was like telling a pack of wolves to stay away from red meat. Now, I remember when I was in sixth grade, so I was around Kevin's age, um... Yeah, although Kevin started junior high in seventh grade. Anyway, um, we had a segment that had to do with Bill Cosby did like a, was it sex? It was something referring to our bodies and how they change. And of course, it's like, I'm all like, no, I don't need this information. I'm fine. Teacher, you don't have to tell me how my body's going to change and everything. Like, I don't need to hear from you how my period starts and why it starts and this and that. And about hormones and body odors and all that stuff. Like, I was just totally against it. It was like, if I need to know anything, my grandma will tell me or I'll learn from my older sister. Or it's just, I was really like, no, 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 no. But I just, I wanted to include that because I just... That, to me, is, like, one of the most pivotal things that I think we all remember of Coach Cutlip. And, yes, he's been in other episodes, but that one was, that's season one. So, all right. So, now, you are going to hear my reviews as I cover from season three and season five. And like I said, you know, we all have teachers that have had an impact on us. So, I'm sure we all have, have stories and everything. So, I hope you guys enjoy this. Alright. Bye-bye.
Next on The Wonder Years. What'd she say? Come on! Give me some mango, My name is Miss Haycock. I'm thrilled to be taking over the 8th grade boys' glee club. She's a fruitcake. We're starting on a new adventure. Together. I don't want to sing. That's why I took glee club in the first place. My boys are up to it. I'm not ready for this. I'll never forget any of you. Wonderlings, I'm Angela Bowen, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Y'all got your singing voices ready? Because we're going to be singing a tune with the 8th grade McKinley Boys Glee Club in Season 3, Episode 16, The Glee Club, which aired on February 26th, 1990. In this episode, the 8th grade Boys Glee Club can't seem to carry a tune, but a new teacher named Miss Haycock is determined to rectify that. So, without further ado, let's jump into this wonderful, musically enhanced episode. And the thing is, after all these years, I still look back. episode begins uh, in the school hallway as we hear angelic harmonies being piped out from somewhere down the hall as the camera stops on posters from past Glee Club performances and then the camera brings us into the doorway of the 8th grade boys Glee Club room as it appears over the shoulder of a boy entering and handing the teacher a hall pass. The angelic tones disappear, and we are left with the high-pitched squeaks of 13-year-old boys. It seriously almost sounds like someone has their balls in a vice. And let me tell you right now, you will hear this phrase quite a bit throughout this episode (laughs) from me. Gah, this is terrible. Reminds me of the occasional bronchitis infection I've had in the past that turned me into Peter Brady, or in this case, Kevin Arnold for a few days while my throat had to heal. Even one of the boys on the riser seems to be holding his head kind of in agony, like he can't stand the sounds that are coming from his own mouth and of those around him. The music teacher does his best as he plays the piano while encouraging the boys to continue, and then he gets up, stops playing, and looks out the window blinds and sees this teacher across the way. I'm not sure the look that passes between them, annoyance, pity maybe, because he shuts the blinds, then turns to the boys, cutting them off, giving up, telling them, you know what, why don't you guys just take out your books and study for the rest of the hour. Now, I remember when I was in 7th grade choir, it was a mix of boys and girls, and I'm sure the boys were awful as hell. I can't remember if I asked to be put in that class. Not sure why I would, being I was so shy. Or maybe I was put there because I wasn't in band. I remember each student had to go into a room with a music teacher as he played a note on the piano to kind of see whether you were an alto, an alto or a soprano. I was a soprano. Or for the guys, whether you were a tenor or a baritone. So I was just, you know, sitting there. I was dreading my turn coming up. I was, like, sweating all over. I was so nervous and freaked out. I really don't like that kind of one-on-one interaction. Long story short, we did a spring choir concert. We sang four songs, Reach for the Light, 
from the movie Balto that plays at the end, House of Love, which was a duet from Amy Grant and Vince Gill, Hold My Hand by Hootie and the Blowfish, and The Rocky Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flu by Johnny Rivers. Surprisingly that I still remember those. I don't remember how they go, but I remember those were the songs we sang. So Paul complains to Kevin that the other groups get to sing. They actually get to sing songs and stuff, so why can't we? Kevin just looks at Paul smiling, telling him, well, maybe because we stink. Yeah, I mean, if you take out the fact that their voices are cracking, they might sound kind of decent. Like I said, my choir concert consisted of 7th grade boys whose voices I'm sure sounded just like them. Then why are we here, Paul asks. And Randy Mitchell, a regular kid that actually shows up between seasons two all the way to season six. So this kid is like a regular friend of Kevin's. You see him every once in a while. And basically he tells Paul, we have to be here. And then he turns to shy mouse Warren Gander, who doesn't sing much less make a sound. Well, that any of the boys have heard. He's like... And then he kind of asks him, like, right, Warren? Warren, up on the risers, just kind of gives the other boys a side eye as he goes back to his book. Paul, unable to let this go, turns back to Kevin. So what you're saying is we're losers, right? Kevin, unsure how to answer this, just joins the other boys as they kind of blow raspberries at Polly. <laughs> Kevin tells us the boys knew where they stood, at the bottom of the barrel, and none of them were eager to seek the limelight. So the next day, the boys are in for a surprise when they walk into their classroom the next day. They're greeted by this sprightly ray of sunshine with an amazing burst of energy who was basically, she was fresh out of college, and boy, does she show it. Right off the bat, she whips open this window shade, blinding the boys with a beam of sunlight. Then hops on the piano as she emphasizes that from now on, they'll always be singing from their diaphragm. Isn't that something you have to learn over time, not in just one class session? These kids don't know what a diaphragm is, and I'm not talking about a birth control device either. Kevin's right. This Miss Haycock is already, I can tell, a fucking nutball. Here's the clip of her introduction. The limelight was thrust upon us. There. That's better, isn't it? Who's she? My name is Miss Haycock, and if there's anything I want to impress upon you, it's... Use your diaphragms. Always use your diaphragms. What'd she say? Do you hear how that sounds? Full and supported. If you're doing it right, you'll feel it down here. I'm thrilled to be taking over the 8th grade boys glee club. And when we sing, we'll always sing like this. Because we're always going to remember to use our... She was fresh out of teaching school, full of ideas, and, oh yes, the woman was a total lunatic. Why does the name Haycock make me think of someone getting rammed from behind in a hayloft? I don't know. <laughs> it's just kind of weird.
So Kevin and Paul are in the locker room discussing the new teacher. Not surprising. Paul thinks she's amazing. Kevin's like, no, she's not. Paul asks why, because she sang a little. And Kevin hopes aloud that she doesn't think that they're going to sing like that. Well, Kevin, that sounds exactly like she, what she's going to have you do. That's what you do in Glee Club. You sing. This lady would put me on edge with all her positivity and sing-songy attitude. Hell, even Marcia Brady and Mary Poppins had their off days. Paul tells Kevin maybe they won't sound like her at first, but once they master this diaphragm thing, it won't be so bad. Doug tells them how he doesn't want to sing. That's why he took Glee Club. Are you fucking kidding me? Who the hell takes a class and hopes they won't have to do any work? That's like taking home ec and hoping you'll never have to actually cook or sew. Or, or basically um, taking shop and hoping you don't have to actually be expected to build something. If one of these boys looks eerily familiar, it's because you may recognize him as Screech from Saved by the Bell. He was also in Season 2, Episode 9, Losers as Joey Harris, and this episode he plays another Joey. <laughs> Weird. So according to this guy, the lady is a student teacher fresh out of college, and Randy Mitchell tells him, you know, she won't last long because it's her first job and she has to look like she's trying. Kevin tells them maybe she'll get over this whole making them sing idea, and Randy tells him, yeah, in a couple days she'll be acting just like the other teacher. Well, no such luck, because she tells them, well, you guys put away your songbooks because you won't need them after all. Okay. The boys all grin like, yep, thought so. But to their surprise, horror, she tells them, you'll need the, we'll need the whole hour for boys' auditions. Gulp. This teacher asks, all right, who wants to be first? But Kevin looks around and... None of the other kids are volunteering. That is, until Paul, ever the teacher's pet, his hand shoots up. Figures. Paul heads down the risers, and then the auditions begin. So here's a clip of the really icky, tone-deaf teenage boy singing auditions. Put away your songbooks. We won't need them after all. And that was that. We'll need the entire hour for voice auditions. Who wants to be first? First? Was she joking? Anyone? Only a complete doofus would want to be first. Okay, then. It was time to show Miss Haycock exactly who she was up against. In other words, it was time to sing. My country, tis of the sweet land of liberty, of the ocean. There, we'd laid it out for her, clear as a bell. The folly of it all, the hopelessness, the complete... Yes, yes, that's the kind of passion we all need. Huh? I found that very moving. Thank you, Kevin. 
Sure, anytime. At away, Caruso. <laughs> Kevin, of course, has to make a big show of it, thrusting his arms in the air, a big display, and of course, she's gonna zero in on it and call it passion. Crap. Kevin, why'd you do that? As he heads back to the, to stand with his friends, Miss Haycock calls to him, causing him to turn around. This lady is completely awestruck by his performance, telling him and the other boys, that's the kind of passion we all need. The boys all lean down and glare at Kevin, like, thanks a lot, dick. On the bus, we got, um... We get a shot of Kenny. Blah. Oh my God, guys! Ugh, I cannot talk. On the bus, we get a shot of Kevin and Winnie holding hands. It's really cute. When I get, you know, put my DVD in to cover the next episode, I want to get a shot of their hands together and put it on Instagram because it's beautiful. I was gushing with excitement. Oh my God! Oh my God! Kevin tells his girlfriend, Winnie, all about Miss Haycock and how she made them sing. Winnie says how she wishes she could have been there and seen it. And then Paul, leaning over the seat, tells her, hey, Miss Haycock said Kevin had passion. Winnie just smirks like, Kevin? My Kevin? Yeah, right. Kevin complains how she made a complete fool out of me. I'm all like, no, Kevin, you made a complete fool out of you. By your ridiculous display of thinking you would turn her off and repel her, and instead it made her that much more convinced that all you boys would be on board with what she has planned. Winnie tells him how she thinks Miss Haycock sounds sweet, and Paul agrees. As Winnie puts a hand on Paul's shoulder, Kevin tells Winnie that the lady is a fruitcake and somebody should lock her up. Oh no, another Kevin rant. Winnie turns on Kevin, telling him that wasn't very nice, and she asks him, what if it were me up here? <laughs> what if it were me up there, scared out of my wits, teaching my first class? And she asks, is that how you treat me? And even Paul gets a look on his face like, well, Winnie tells him, you should think about that. Uh, Winnie, she didn't look scared, just overly enthused, like she'd had how many shots of espresso and a couple cans of Red Bull and like a couple bottles of five-hour energy. This lady was holy moo. She was flying high without a kite. I mean, who has that kind of energy, especially back then? My choir teacher sure didn't. I remember when we ended up watching the movie Babe while he did paperwork at his desk one day. That was a good day. That was a very nice day. Then we get a close-up shot of this woman's nostrils and mouth. Ugh! Blah! I'm really hating her hair flip, too. I don't care if that's how women wore their hair. Just, ugh. Reminds me too much of DJ Tanner in Season 8 of Full House. It didn't work for DJ, and it's not working for this lady. She's trying to get the kids to pull air from their diaphragm by going, Fwah! Fwah! Paul's even making the motion with his hand as if it will help lift the air up through his mouth from his stomach. Kevin tells us they were weaned on low expectations, and even poor shy mouse Warren Gander was showing signs of strain, as we see him going to town on his nails and fingers, chewing them practically to the bone. The teacher tells them they're going to start working on their first song together, called Stout-Hearted Men. So I looked this song up on YouTube, because, I mean, 
heard of it, but that's about as far as that went. And it looks like it plays in the movie called New Moon, not the Twilight movie. This movie, New Moon, came out in 1940. So not only are they going to learn a song, she tells them, I also signed you up to sing in the Spring Sing next month. Uh, fuck no, we're not. The boys all exclaim, what? She tells them, now I know we don't have much time. No shit, lady, you just sprung this on us today, and you just started working, like, yesterday. That is way too damn soon. She talked to the old teacher, Mr. Frace, and he, she said how her boys were up to it, and, of course, he agreed. Well, of course he did. He doesn't have to oversee any of this, unless he's just taking a break and looking forward to this woman falling flat on her ass in embarrassment when she realizes that these kids suck like no tomorrow. Kevin, 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 <laughs> having had enough, raises his hand and asks her if she really thinks this is a good idea. She asks, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I don't think that, but suddenly he hallucinates Winnie's head on Miss Haycock's body. As she asks Kevin, what if it were me up here? Kevin kind of shakes his head to clear it, like, what the fuck? Kevin has a quick change of heart as she asks, you think what? He tells her, I, I think it will be fine. So, uh, <laughs> the boys once again glare at him, like, what the hell, you boys? Don't, like, then, if you don't like it, then speak the fuck up, then. If not, then suck it up, because it looks like now you're just gonna have to do this. Over the next few weeks, she practices with them the basses, then the tenors, which happen to be the worst section, according to Kevin. As she plays, she reminds them, you know, sing from your diaphragm. In the locker room, someone knees him in the ass or snaps it with a towel. Thank goodness he was dressed. He could have lost a testicle otherwise. The boys, Randy and Screech, are all over his ass, blaming him for suggesting that they participate in the spring sing. Hey, you boys don't like it? Speak the fuck up or shut the fuck up. Your choice. Kevin's not your mouthpiece. They all tell Kevin to get them out of it so they don't look like idiots in front of the whole school and their parents. Kevin is voted to be the one to talk to her since he's quote-unquote Mr. Passion. He's the only one she'll listen to. Wrong. None of the other boys have opened their damn mouth to voice an opinion to, to her. They just complain to Kevin. Fix it. Fix it. When are you going to fix it? Give me a fucking break. I remember when I've seen this episode over the years, and Kevin mentions how how can you talk to someone if they can't even hear. So that kind of gave me the impression like she was like hard of hearing or she deaf, and that's why she can't tell that they suck. And he's like, oh yeah, she's deaf, so that's why she doesn't understand how bad they are. In class the next day, they are deep into rehearsals as she has them marching in place on the risers to get more into the song. Yeah, like, that will help them make make them better singers. Not to mention, isn't that dangerous moving in place? One false step and someone trips forward, their leg gets caught below one of the risers, and they end up breaking their leg? Yeah, I smell a possible lawsuit coming. 
Randy bends down to tell Kevin it's now or never to tell her off. Even even Warren is kind of giving him the side eye. Like, I'm not singing, so you better do something about this. So I'm going to play this clip of Kevin telling her they don't want to be in the musical, and it blows up in his face, but a surprise happens to make him reconsider his words. It's now or never, Arnold. Ah, oh, what the heck. Was I a stout-hearted man or a craven coward? Miss Haycock? Yes, Kevin. We've been thinking this whole thing over. And... See, we don't really want to be in the spring thing. It's just that we're not any good. So maybe we shouldn't do it. There. Difficult, of course, but best for everyone concerned. You really feel this way? All of you? Yeah. I see. Well, I had no idea. And there you had it. We'd finally gotten through to her. Miss Haycock was coming to her senses. She was going to see reason. She was going... to cry. <laughs> Needless to say, we handled it with a certain maturity. Well, what'd you do that for, Arnold? Me? You told me to. Way to go, Kev. I can't believe you did that. You're supposed to talk to her, not make her cry. We had no idea what to do next. The only thing that could help us now was a miracle. And then it happened. It took the tears of a student teacher to bring a song to the lips of Warren Gander. is history. And so began the great glee club comeback of 1970. If I were her, I'd be like, why the hell didn't you say this three weeks ago? Instead of the, like the week before the big night. I mean, the programs have already been printed. So I don't know what to tell you. Instead, she looks at him in utter shock, like, oh, so you all feel this way? And the boys all nod in agreement, and then she just, the, the, blah, 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 blah. She bursts into tears. Floodgates, boom, tears pouring down her face. I personally think she's faking it, the way, like, oh, maybe if I cry, they'll change their minds and feel sorry for me. Okay, lady, maybe this job isn't the right fit for you. Her energy level seems better suited for, like, kindergartners or lower end elementary, like, maybe second grade. The boys all stand there uncomfortably, like, shit. What do we do now? Expressions of utterly hope, utter hopelessness and befuddlement on their faces. Then a miracle happens. Warren Gander opens his mouth and the voice of an angel pours out. The boys' heads all turn collectively as one. What is the secret weapon Warren's been hiding all this time? 
Even Miss Haycott stops crying long enough to turn around and stare in awe, and then one by one the boys all begin singing the song. Stout-hearted men. You can clearly tell that Warren's voice is being dubbed in by, I'm guessing, according to IMDb's Wonder Years page, and this episode, it said singer, and the name is Kiblina Peace, who is an actress who, surprisingly enough, I discovered also shares my birth date, August 24th. We get a montage of the kids all singing and preparing for the concert, and they seem pretty enthused and into it now that Warren has been revealed to be Mr. Music Man with his amazing voice. So two weeks before, this is now two weeks before the big show, they ate, slept, and breathed the lyrics of Stout-Hearted Men. In preparation, as we see, they are in the lunch line carrying their trays and their songbooks, also singing on the bus in the boys' bathroom. Also, there's a shot of Kevin laying on his bed while belting out at the top of his lungs, Stout-Hearted Men. Wayne comes in the doorway and, like, throws something, I don't know what exactly at Kevin, maybe chips, peanuts. I mean, at first it looked like he was brushing his teeth, so I don't know what the hell he was throwing at Kevin. The scene closes out on the boys in the choir room as Miss Haycock cheers them on. Then the voiceover cuts out and we hear their craptastic yet somewhat improved singing voices because they are all singing the same note at the same time. Mm. So it's the big night. We see a group of girls at the spring sing, singing the song that little Michael Jackson sung from the American Dreams, The Jackson Story. Something about follow every rainbow till you find your dream. Something to that. Ex I don't know what the song's called. Something to that effect. Kevin and Paul peek inside the crack of the door to get a load of the competition or the other performers. This can't be their school. Is this a competition? You know, I thought it was a choir concert. Where? Who are all these other children that look like they've come from other schools? Paul lets on that he can't go through with it, and Kevin tells him, It's only one song, Paul. As they walk back to the other boys, we see kids in Catholic school choir robes. It seems a bit unnerving to me. I can see why Paul would feel unmatched for this, as he says, These other kids look like professionals, and people are paying a buck fifty to see them. Paul, of course, starts hyperventilating, sneezing. Oh, no. Come on, Paul. Not now. Paul says it's his nerves acting up, and Kevin reminds them, hey, we got Warren. You know, the cherub singing secret weapon. They see this guy who seems like he's a professional, the way he tells, you know, this kid that comes up to them and says, hey, what songs are you singing? We're singing some other dang songs. I don't know. They're really fancy classical songs. Arabesque or some crap. So they'll be singing at least four different songs. And he's like, hey, what are you singing? Kevin's like, oh, we'll be singing uh, Stout Hearted Men. Miss Haycock comes down the steps, calling the boys all to her. Yeah, that didn't sound at all Mary Kay Letourneau-ish. She's like, oh, my boys, my boys are here. <laughs> she ends up handing them all Colonel Sanders-type black ties to wear to compliment their white dress shirts. She then tells them how, oh, when I was a little girl, I dreamed of conducting a choir full of young boys. That's, ugh. 
even more, even more creepy. She tells them it's showtime, and all right, take your places. I guess they are at their school because Kevin says it's Mr. Frace's choir auditorium. You know, I I thought that this thing took place at another school. So what? These kids from other schools are being bussed in to do this choir thingy majiggy. Unless the school's got more than one... But these other kids had robes on and stuff. They look really, really fancy looking. Like, they came from, like, church choirs and stuff. I want to play this clip of how this all goes downhill in a disastrous heap. Miss Haycock's first and only show, and the boys... Also the same for the boys as well. So, I will be right back. And so, from the murky depths of Mr. Frace's choir room, the 8th grade boys glee club finally stepped into the light. Sure, we had misgivings. But gazing down on Miss Haycock's confident face, we knew we had nothing to fear. She believed in us. And of course, we believed in Warren. But as I look back on that night, it isn't the anticipation I remember best, and it isn't the faces in the audience. What I remember best is that Warren Gander's voice chose exactly that moment to change. It was cruel. In front of our very eyes, Warren had transformed from a lyric tenor to... Well, a bullfrog. So the rest of us did the only thing we could. We panicked. Keep going. Keep going. But the die was cast. Paul sneezed which was too much for Doug. Somebody laughed, and I dropped my music. It was kind of a chain reaction. I'd like to say we rallied, but we didn't. It was no one's fault, really. I guess we'd just been pushed beyond our limits. We were a bunch of eighth-grade boys, not an ensemble of stout-hearted men. As for Miss Haycock, she dreamed of molding us into something we weren't. But that night, she got her wake-up call. 
The only problem was she wasn't there to answer it. We never found out where Miss Haycock disappeared to, although some said she'd gone back to college. Still, I'd like to think that wherever she is, there's a warm spot in her heart for the 8th grade boys glee club. After all, we'd learn from her, and in a way, she'd learn from us. We'd learn together. So this whole performance hindered on one boy, Warren. Gah! And shit hits the fan when at that moment during Warren's solo, his voice decides to take a shit right then and there, just like somebody squeezed his balls in a vice-like grip. Miss Haycock tries several times to continue the song as the kids try to find their place and just start mumbling, sing, mumble singing, Man, 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 man. But after Warren's voice takes a crap, it's pretty much over for all of them. Paul starts sneezing again. Doug falls off the back riser onto the floor. Some kid does try to help pull him up, but he just ends up falling back down. Some kid laughs. One boy hits the other with the program. All you kind of hear is the boys shuffling through their music as Miss Haycock tries and fails to continue conducting the song, just telling the lady playing the piano, just keep going. Like, whatever, lady, whatever you say, <laughs> this is going nowhere, but I'll just keep playing. The audience actually, they start to laugh at this goofy display. Like, what are we watching? I mean, you kind of have to. What else can be said other than Kevin got it right? The show couldn't be saved. It was over. Miss Haycock is met with a scattered applause from the audience, and then, embarrassed, she runs off the stage. Well, actually, she just kind of is like, I'm just going to go over here now. <laughs> the final finish comes as the boys lean to the side with arms outstretched, an outstretched hand sweeping gesture towards the spotlight, which is, settles on Miss Haycock, or at least that's where she should be to take her final, final bow. But she's long gone. As Kevin tells us, no one knew where she went. Rumors flew that she went back to college, but all I can say is I pray that she didn't commit suicide after this. She left, and no one heard from her again. What if she was so embarrassed she had to change her name and leave the state? Oh my god. Then we see Mr. Fight Mr. Frace back teaching this glee club once more as he shuts the blinds again. Well, I hope he enjoyed his little vacay, unless he can find another tone-deaf student music teacher that might be the only vacay he'll have till summer break. So that's the end of the episode. Time for my Flower Power episode rating. I'm giving this episode three out of five Flower Power petals. One, for Miss Haycock. Not that she may be, but she whipped those whipped those boys into shape singing-wise, or at least made an attempt to pour sunshine into their lives through song and teach them to use their diaphragms, or sing from their diaphragms. Two, Warren, for being their shining star and secret weapon, with that angel angelic cherub voice, well, at least for a little while. Three, Miss Haycock realizes you can't mold a 13-year-old boy's 
a 13-year-old boy's voice into the next Josh Groban or Michael Buble. We can't all sound like Billy Gilman at age 10 when you're a teenage boy in the throes of puberty. Once Warren's voice takes a crap, she knows her career is, as a musical conductor is over. I knocked off two flower power petals off. I knocked them off. One, this episode was pretty ma. Nah. This nah for me. All the singing throughout the episode. I mean, if this were Glee with Journey's Don't Stop Believing, maybe I could forget them. But eardrum splitting 13-year-olds singing stout-hearted men. Uh, no thank you. Two, the only good thing I liked about this episode is Winnie and Kevin's close-up hand-holding shot. And also, she was a voice of reason and took Miss Haycock's side sight unseen. If she hadn't met this woman, maybe she would have agreed with Kevin's sentiment regarding her being a damn nut job. My Wonderling Words of Wisdom I wouldn't recommend choir class at all. I hated it, and unless you really enjoy singing, don't sign up for it. Short and to the point. Here's my quote of the episode, and you guys probably heard it in the clip. Narrator, it was cruel. Before our very eyes, Warren had transformed from lyric tenor to, well, a bullfrog. So the rest of us did the only thing we could. We panicked. But the die was cast. Paul sneezed, which was too much for Doug. Somebody laughed, and I dropped my music. It was kind of a chain reaction. I'd like to say we rallied, but we didn't. It was no one's fault, really. I guess we'd just been pushed beyond our limits. We're, we were just, we were a bunch of eighth grade boys, not an ensemble of stout-hearted men. All right, let's say hey to some new listeners this week. We have Bakersfield, California, Centerton, Arkansas, Winnipeg, Canada, Germany, Fayetteville, Arkansas, Montebello, California, Port Elizabeth, South Africa, St. Simons Island, Georgia, Westlake Village, California, Baldwin Park, California, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, El Salvador, Russia, Kensington, Maryland, Ashboro, North Carolina, Powell, Ohio, St. Petersburg, Florida, Mexico, Georgia, Coralville, Iowa, Salford, United Kingdom, India, Paris, France, Riverside, California, Lawrence, Kansas, India, and Hamburg, Germany. Also France and Belgium. I want to give a sincere thank you to all the listeners out there, whether you listen to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other listening platforms that you may use to hear this podcast. I love giving you guys the recaps every week of the Wonder Years. Joining me as I go into full detail as we reminisce of days gone by with Kevin and his friends Paul and Winnie and the rest of the Arnold family, as well as giving my occasional running commentary and childhood stories. There are many ways to stay connected to the podcast, like the Facebook page, Looking Back on My Wonder Years, Wonder Years Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram, LBOM Wonder Years Podcast. Also, you can follow me on Wonder Years Pod and Twitter. You can also email me at LBOM Wonder Years Podcast at gmail.com. All these um, links are located in the description and you can also access the links on the soundcloud page as well 
Also, if you guys enjoy this podcast, please go to iTunes. You can rate, give me five stars, or what you feel is necessary. Review and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. You can also follow on SoundCloud. You can even send me messages, whatever you would like to do. Join me tomorrow, Sunday, November 19th, when I discuss Season 3, Episode 17, Night Out, which aired on much which aired on March 13th, 1990. In this episode, newly coupled Kevin and Winnie are pressured into attending a notorious makeout party. While at the party, it seems just like any other 8th grade party. Until the lights get turned off. So I'm going to play a little clip of that episode, and I will meet you guys here tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody. Yes, ready for Friday night? Yeah, I got my breath mints and high karate. Next on The Wonder Years. You got invited to a Robbie Hudson party. Did you want to come to a little party? Who's Robbie Hudson? Who's Robbie Hudson? Party time. You two do make out, don't you? So, I hear you're taking my little Gwendolyn to a makeout no, party. Oh, well, that's nice. Isn't this great? Come on, guys. This way to heaven. will decide your own grade. I like it. Next on The Wonder Years. Students don't respond without grades. Not. You like shaking things up, don't you? Sometimes you gotta shake things up to get things done. They're not gonna let her get away with this. And you are... An abyss of mediocrity. Again, please? I don't think you really understand. Oh, I don't. You got a problem. It's madness. I like it. She knows what she's doing. Any questions? Can you really do this? I'm doing it. And the thing is, after all these years, I still look back with wonder. Hey there, Wonderlings. It's Angela Bowen, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. And today I have for you Season 5, Episode 13, entitled... Kodachrome? I don't even know how to pronounce this. I wish I did. Um, I'm sorry if it's wrong. I'm sure it's pronounced another way. But this episode aired on January 29th, 1992. This um, synopsis comes from, summary comes from IMDb. Kevin's English teacher, Miss Shaw, has some rather unorthodox methods of teaching. While the class enjoys these new methods, they don't sit well with the school board. Yes, because the school board, and it's high school also. So colleges are going to be looking at GPA, they're going to be looking at your grades. If they're going based on what the students are giving themselves, you know dang well all of them are going to give themselves an A, even if they don't deserve it. 
So I want to read this uh, Instagram post that I posted about this episode. Next week, we meet another memorable teacher that had a lasting impression and influence on Kevin. In Season 3, Episode 13, Kodachrome, which aired on January 29th, 1992. And the question I asked, did any of you... Did you have any teachers growing up that influenced you in any way or helped shape your future? Now I have the booklet in front of me. It says, the description here is, you know, short. The unconventional Miss Shaw gets in trouble with the school for her unusual teaching methods. The featured song in this episode is Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell, and I have heard of that song. All right, and then I want to read this little thing here. English class. Miss Shaw, McKinley's high, McKinley High's non-traditional English teacher, tells her students to close their eyes as she whispers, the horror, the horror. These are the dying words of Mr. Kurtz, the mysterious protagonist of Joseph Conrad's classic novel, Heart of Darkness. Movie audiences recall Kurtz's line much differently as Marlon Brando delivered it in the 1979 film Apocalypse Now. Based in part on Conrad's novel, that difference is exactly the point that Miss Shaw drives home with her students. There are no right or wrong answers when studying a work of great literature, particularly one such as Heart of Darkness, which has confounded and enlightened readers for over a hundred years and inspired numerous interpretations for radio, TV, film, and even opera, with talents such as Orson Welles, Boris Karloff, Roddy McDowell, and John Malkovich. So this is just the little um, inclusion here in the booklet. I have never read Heart of Darkness. I've never seen Apocalypse Now. And I have no intentions of doing either. But I have had memorable teachers in my time that I will get to later in this episode. Okay. Now I'd like to read this opening quote from uh, the episode from Adult Kevin. It seemed like... My high school teachers came in every conceivable shape, size, and style. There were the hopelessly confused, the terminally repetitious, the insufferably boring. But all of all the teachers I have ever had, I only ever had one who was a natural. Miss Shaw taught English 2A. She was a year out of graduate school, aren't they all? And there was something about her that was cool. She didn't take attendance. She didn't need to. She let us sit anywhere we wanted. And she never, ever used the word literature. But maybe the most remarkable thing about her was she actually liked what she did. And that is one of the things that makes a good teacher great. That they like their job, that they enjoy what they're doing and the effect that it has on their, their pupils, their students. That they're there to help guide you. Think about it. Teachers, you have them nine months out of the year, five days a week. And for eight hours a day. That's 40 days a week. 
That is a lot of time. If you think about it, you probably see your teachers more than you see your parents out of the year. I mean, sure, you see your parents in the early morning and at evening and then on the weekends. But for Monday through Friday from like 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. or 3 p.m., you're your teacher's um, responsibility. And we've seen in past seasons some of the teachers that have come and gone and left an impression on Kevin. You know, there's Miss White slash Miss Heimer, Coach Cutlip, um, Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins definitely left an impression on him. You know, and now he's in high school and he's got a whole new slew of teachers. We just met Miss Farmer. Well, you guys will meet her in the uh, Sex and Economics episode, which will be in June for the Jobs Edition. So you'll meet her. Well, some of these teachers, you know, they're cool and all, but it's just the ones that are really the stick in your mind are the ones from seasons like one through four. Because think about it. The basis of the show is six seasons long. We've spent seasons one through four with Kevin in junior high, and we've spent so much time with all of these teachers that now we're getting a new slew of teachers, and Kevin's older his attitude towards them is a little different. They still have, you know, an impression, you know, a, a lasting effect, but it just doesn't feel, it's like they were there for him when he was younger, and now that he's older, he's got his driver's license, he's reaching a, he's close to, he's in his junior year. So, or wait, no, this is sophomore year still. His junior year is season six. I'm sorry, guys, I'm getting confused. Alright, you know what? Let's just get right into this episode. I'm tired of babbling. So, we have Joni Mitchell's song, Both Sides Now, playing. As we get a little montage of the different teachers, we get a math teacher, we get a Spanish teacher. Because I remember Kevin took French in uh, junior high. So this guy here's got to be, what, a history teacher? Alright, now we're getting to Miss Shaw. So I want to play this first clip of Miss Shaw um, asking asking Kevin what he thought of um, the book Heart of Darkness. You know, the character, the author, what the author was trying, trying to come across and everything like that. This teacher is cool. I mean, she's dressed kind of, you know, uh, new age kind of, uh, you know, with beads and everything and a really nice vest. She's really, she's a pretty teacher and I love how she's going to just... Open the minds of students, just asking the questions and having them ponder things. I mean, this classroom looks so comfortable. Randy is there, and he's sitting in, I think it's like an armchair or something. It's a really comfortable chair. And, you know, she's having the kids, you know, close their eyes so they can just envision in their mind as she's reading, doing a dramatic reading and everything. Truth. The horror, everyone, is truth. 
We all felt lucky we got Miss Shaw. Even if some of us didn't get her. Yes, Felicia. Are we going to need to know this for our midterm? No, Felicia. You need to know that for life. And the best part was, the woman never failed to surprise you. Everybody, you know what I have in my hand here? <laughs> Ivanhoe. 733 pages that the Board of Education requires you read. But I do not. I mean, let's be honest. It's long, it's boring, and it's old. But do me a favor, huh? Take one and keep it around for appearances. You know what I mean? Wait, are we reading it or not? Not. We're reading this. The Catcher in the Rye. Does the administration know we're doing this? Not unless they find out. But what if they do? Well, then, we'll just have to take our chances, won't we? And that was what was different about Miss Shaw. Hey, take one of each before you go. Yeah. She took chances. And enjoy it. Felicia is just asking this questions upon questions and Miss Shaw just takes it in stride. It's like she's polite. She doesn't get angry with her. She just answers her questions point blank and everything. And of course Kevin's rolling his eyes. Um, you know, the administration wants the kids to read Ivanhoe and she says, I'm not going to have you do that. This book is over 700 pages long. It's boring. It's old. It's like the kids aren't going to be able to relate to that, right? So she's like, just keep the book around for appearances. Of course, Felicia is like, oh, so are we reading it or not? And Miss Shaw's like, not. So she says, what I am going to have you guys read is The Catcher in the Rye. This book, I actually have a copy. I've had it for probably over 10 years. Have not read it yet. It's a short book. This book was also featured in an episode of Full House. I believe it was season six or seven, maybe six, where Jesse was, um, Uncle Jesse was going to night school. He had to read it. Steve had to read the book for a... For his English class. Mind you, this book is probably under 200 pages. It is not a long book. Yet, they decide to split it up and one reads... Jesse reads the back half. Steve reads the beginning. And then they meet in the middle and they fill each other in. Stupid idea. Stupid, stupid idea. Another thing. um, Frank McCourt. He wrote Angela's Ashes about his life in Ireland. And then in Tiz, the sequel, he wrote coming to New York. He was actually born in, in New York. But he came back to America when he was 19, went to college, became a teacher. And he did actually have the kids read Catcher in the Rye. However, the administration caught on to it. He, like, had the kids, like, pay for him to get the books for them that way he was able to afford lunch and everything like that. But, of course, admin one of the kids' parents, like, found out they were reading it and raised holy hell with the school board. And they came in and said, no, you're not teaching this to the kids. Um, uh, Holden Caulfield is the main uh, protagonist of the story The Catcher in the Rye. 
Um, he, I believe he was kicked out of a boarding school. I'm just trying to go from what I know about it. Um, he's depressed. I don't know. He might be suicidal. Um, and just something, I think there's controversy about the language. Um, the fact that he has a prostitute in his hotel room, although they never do anything. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the book. But I think... I like that the teacher's approaches these older works of fiction, kids cannot relate to them. So they're like, let's give them a book that they can relate to. That's why I'm so happy that kids today, teenagers, have such a wide variety of young adult books. When I was a teenager back in like the... um the mid to late 90s, there wasn't even remotely close to the amount of young adult fiction. I don't even know if it was referred to as young adult fiction when I was a teenager. It was just teen books. And the library I went to in Lowell, the town I grew up in, was small. There was like maybe one small row of teen books. And a lot of it was stuff that was, of course, published you know, probably in the 90s and stuff like that. So, you know, Judy Bloom's Forever um, was a real eye-opener book to me on um, sexuality and teenagers and everything like that. Um, another one I really liked, The Wind Blows Backwards by Mary Downing Hahn that deals with suicide and the death of a parent and stuff. It's really, really good. I actually, when I worked at Goodwill, I did managed to get somebody to buy the book that had come and used for a buck. I had it at the register, and so some a guy and his friends had kind of come up, and they're like, oh, what's this book? And I, I just love the book so much, and, and I'm just, oh, you got to read this. You know what? Let me see if I got it, and I will read the inside of it real quick for you. See if you guys can find it, because the book came out in, like, the early 90s. All right, I want to read this real quick. Uh, the inside flap. The wind blows backward. Mary Downing Hahn is the author. We get a little snippet here. Before I realized what he was doing, Spencer grabbed my hand. Can we be friends, Lauren? Can we talk like we used to? His grip was so tight my hand hurt. Not just Middle Earth and time travel and poetry. Other things. Things nobody knows. Nobody understands. Stuff I've never told anyone. Stuff that's just eating me up inside. In eighth grade, Spencer was Lauren's friend, but when he, they entered high school, he threw himself into sports and surrounded himself with new friends, the very people who'd made Lauren's life miserable in middle school. Senior year, a chance meeting gives Spencer the opportunity to break the years of silence. To Lauren's surprise, he reveals his unhappiness and the sense of... I and sense of isolation. Once again, their, their affinity for each other draws them together, ready to fall in love with the intensity they never imagined 
when they were younger. As she learns more about Spencer, Lauren is alarmed by his dark moods and reckless behavior. After he describes a terrible incident from his childhood, the two of them spend the night together. Lauren tries to convince herself she can make Spencer happy, happy by loving him, but his inability to control his powerful emotions finally forces her to realize love isn't enough. If he is to survive, Spencer must stop running and face the man who haunts his dreams. This is such a good book. This actually was the book that I read that um, did have a sex scene in it between Spencer and Lauren. They There was a mention of a condom, so they did have safe sex. Um, just um, As an adult, you know, I'm 35 going on 36. I still enjoy reading young adult books. Um... Some books that I really, that have heart, deal with hard-hitting issues that I love, Ellen Hopkins. She has got an amazing catalog of books that just deal with so much. And um, I'm not going to go on them, into them right now. We need to get back into this episode. But seriously, I love teachers that help promote literacy, you know, that encourage children to read, to have imagina imaginations and everything, just to, you know, put down the screen for a minute and just, and you know what, Audible, I'm this, I'm not sponsored by Audible, I just, I listen to it at work and let me tell you, it makes getting through really big books a breeze, it really, really does, um, my Sarah J Mass books, I'm still working through The Throne of Glass. I've been on the fourth book for over a year and a half now. And I'm just like, I'm just going to get the books on Audible. These books are like 700 pages. Easily oh, well over 10 hours or more. It's like, I, it's just, mm. okay. Plus, it makes people who that don't want to pick up a book just listen to a book, you know? But let's get back into this episode. I apologize if I dragged on too long. Polly! Polly's back! He is looking so cute! I love that, you know, his glasses are gone. I mean, he looked alright with the glasses, but the fact that he doesn't have them... Oh, my goodness. Anyway, uh, they're in the hallway. Kevin cannot get his locker open, and there's Paul. He's got a... What is that? There is a little bumper sticker thing in... Paul's locker that says, make love, not children. Is that a quote from somebody? I mean, they are coming off the cusp of 1969 where there's a lot of, you know, the free love movement and everything. I mean, that probably did go into the 70s a bit. All right, I'm going to play this clip. This is irritating. No wonder Kevin can't get his damn locker open. They changed the combinations over the weekend. Why? Was somebody breaking into lockers? Was it a security issue? There's no reason to do that. And why didn't they say something or do an announcement? I mean, that's crap. I'd be pissed. I am pissed. And I don't even go to this high school. I don't even go to high school, period. Kevin's got enough grief in his life and complaining about stuff. She opened doors. I can't get my locker open. New combinations. They changed them over the weekend. Security problems. Oh, I have to get my books. Maybe you should talk to Linzer. <laughs> Excuse me. Unfortunately, in high school, 
Mm. Opening doors is no easy task. I can't get into my locker. Do you have a key? Uh, yeah. Great. Okay. Thank you. Need a 29C, though. A 29C? Security authorization form. Oh, of course. A 29C. You can get one at the administration. Between 12 and 2. Yeah, but I have to get into my locker now. Well, then, uh, you got a problem. Well, that's what I told you. Obviously, I was dealing here with strictly middle management. What I needed was... Dr. Valenti, our principal, the top dog. Excuse me, sir. And you are? Kevin Arnold. Aren't you a little late for class there, Kevin Arnold? Well, see, that's the problem. I can't open my locker. Oh. Oh, well, we'll fix that right up. Uh... Finally, a man who could cut through the red tape. A guy who could make things happen. A mover, a shaker. Talk to Lindsay. Good meeting you, son. Glad I could help. The horror. The horror. So, Paul advises him to talk to Linzer, who is the custodian or what, or maintenance guy. And he's like, hey, I gotta get into my locker. I have an issue. And then all the guy really is like, oh, um, you need a 29C form, which you can get between the hours of 12, uh, 12 and 2 as in the office. And Kevin's like, I need to get my books, though. What? That is so inconvenient. So Kevin's like, hey, maybe I'll talk here to the big cheese, the principal and everything like that. And the principal's just kind of like, hmm, that is a problem. Let's see. Oh, here, talk to Mr. Windsor here. See ya. Glad I could help y'all. What? I, I, I just talked to him. No. Oh, damn. So we move to the next scene and kids are, it's gotta be springtime now. Uh, we're, like, what, halfway through season five, so this has got to be spring. It's uh, Well, it's California, too, so, of course, it's going to be comfortable. You can sit outside on the grass and have class outside. I never, I don't think I had class outside ever. I might, might have once, but, in high school, but I can't remember. So, I'd like to play this clip where she has an open discussion on the book The Catcher in the Rye, just asking why Holden Caulfield was the way he was and just kind of, you know, lets the kids kind of uh, give their own interpretation of how they took it. But if school was the heart of darkness, then English 2A was a ray of sunshine. So why do you think Holden ended up in a mental hospital? Obviously Holden Caulfield has a problem perceiving reality as it is. Well, because he's nuts. He's not nuts. He just couldn't put up with the system. The system stinks. Yeah. Kind of like school. <laughs> well, that's certainly one way to look at it. That was the great thing about Miss Shaw. You never had to worry about anything you said in her class. Everything was up for grabs. Any other questions, comments? And I mean everything. <laughs> Anyone? Yes, Felicia. Are you going to tell us our midterm grades before you record them? I wouldn't worry about grades if I were you, Felicia. I only give two. Pass and no pass. Again, please? I said pass and no pass. Pass and no pass. <laughs> it was amazing, a groundbreaking concept, and we reacted as any 10th grade class would. Oh, my dad gives me a buck for every A. But what will happen to my grade point average? You mean I'm not going to get an F? With total confusion, 
a math class. There are no right or wrong answers here. Only thought. And you can't grade thought. Besides, it doesn't matter what I think about you. It matters what you think about me. So, with those words, we set out to make history. With one reservation. Can you really do this? I'm doing it. So the question she asks is, why do you think that Holden Caulfield ended up in a mental hospital? She doesn't say institution. She doesn't say psychiatric hospital. She says mental institution. So this one boy who is clearly dressed like a uh, brainiac, nerdish, I'm sorry to offend anybody, um, gives a typical, you know, stereotypical answer of, that Holden has a problem perceiving reality from fantasy. And Ricky, of course, gives a typical answer, like, oh, he's nuts. And Kevin kind of defends the thing, no, he wasn't nuts. He probably had a psychotic breakdown, or a, or a breakdown where he, everything got to be too much for him, he couldn't take it anymore, and with the thoughts of possible suicide and stuff. And I believe, you know, drug and alcohol abuse. And he just needed to get help. He needed the help to be able to hopefully one day function among others in society. And Kevin said he's not nuts. He just couldn't handle putting up with the system. And, of course, we get a hippie with the glasses in the back. Like, shit, system sucks, man. Sucks. Well, buddy, you know what? You're not far off. It's not any better in 2018. I'll tell you that much right now. Things suck. They're not good. I don't know. Maybe one day they'll get better, but that's just me hoping. So that's what Kevin says. You know, that's the thing about Michelle. You really didn't have to worry. It was an open dialogue. You could speak freely without worrying about being persecuted or yelled at or reprimanded or anything. And this is where she brings up the whole fact of... Because Felicia's got a question about the grades, the midterm, and Miss Shaw's like, you don't need to worry about that. The only two grades they give out are pass or fail. That's it. And, of course, Randy's like, well, my dad gives me a buck for every A I get. And then, of course, Ricky's excited because he's like, well, then I won't fail. And then, um, you know, uh, Felicia's worried about her GPA. It's like, yeah, they're sophomores in high school. They got to work on that GPA to get into the best colleges and whether or not how this will be perceived. So I can understand why the faculty, the uh, administration might have an issue with this. I mean, it's great to incorporate new ideas into teaching. That's really wonderful. Of course, you know, those got sometimes do have to be met with the guidelines of how the school runs things. It's not always right it's not always agreeable but you know those are the standards of things that we live in i guess so kevin even asked like can you do this and she's like i'm doing it it's done and we get a report card from kevin as jack is like what uh what is a p what does this mean i see a's i see b's i see c's and D c's so what what's the p for does everybody remember in elementary school when you didn't really get grades? You got, like, S for satisfactory or N for not satisfactory? So, Norma, of course, is like, honey, I think that means pass. And he's like, yeah, I can see that. But where the hell is your grade at? We get that you passed the class, but you need, ha don't have a letter grade. And this is where Kevin's like, well, Miss Shaw doesn't believe in that kind of thing. She's got her own system. 
I feel like just, Jack, treat it like it's an A, okay? Pass means A, not pass means F. So I was kind of trying to explain, Norma actually says this is how they're doing things at the university because she's actually taking classes there. So that's really interesting. I like that. It's simple. You either pass or you fail. I think most school, I think school should do that. Why should kids have to be busting their ass just to get a specific letter grade? It's, it's I don't, I'd say you do the work, you put in the effort, you get a pass. You don't do the work, you don't put in the effort, you don't pass. Simple, simple, simple. I'm going to play this clip. See, it means pass. What I mean is, where is this grade? Well, if you get this shot, you know, Jack, they're starting to do this in a lot of the courses at the university. Great. When he goes to a university on his own money, he can get a P. But as long as I'm paying taxes, I want to see a grade. Hmm. Seems this plan wasn't playing so well in the hinterlands. Dad, I don't think you really understand. Oh, I don't? Well, I mean... Norma mentions how they're doing the pass-fail thing at the university, and Jack, of course, is like, fine. When he goes to the university on his own dime, meaning I'm not paying for it, then he can get passes, you know, P's and F's and whatever. But while he's living in this house, he's going to get A's, B's, you know, letter grade, actual grade grades. And then, of course, Kevin is, you know, spouting some stuff that Miss Shaw is kind of putting in his head. You know, it's not bad. But, of course, you know, his dad is not going to see it that way. And he's like, you know, Kevin says, you know, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks of me. It matters what I think of me. And Jack's like, well, as long as you live under my roof, you better damn well care about what I think. As in, my opinion matters, the only one that really matters while you live here. I love how Jack just kind of flings the report card back at Kevin, like, here you go. Don't care anymore. Subject's closed. And Wayne's sitting next to Kevin, he's like, he puts a hand on Kevin's hand, like, I think you're swell. Like, he's being sarcastic. And you heard it in the clip. It was just funny. So now we move back to school the next day, and Kevin approaches Miss Shaw. So, yeah, Kevin's coming down the steps. Miss Shaw is there. She's got a she is loaded down with books and papers that are almost spilling out of her hands. And Kevin, nice enough, you know, he offers to give her a hand carrying some of that stuff, you know, lighten the load. 
So I want to play this clip here as Kevin kind of talks to Miss Shaw, you know, regarding his report card, and you know, his dad wasn't too happy about the P's that he, you know, that he was. It's fun that he's passing, but he wants to see actual letter grades. What I needed was a little clarification. Kevin, give me a hand with these, won't you? Where are they? Attendance reports. Drag, isn't it? Yeah. So what's up? Well, I was just wondering if I could talk to you about your report card. Yeah. You see, you didn't go over too well on the home front, right? Right. And you're not exactly sure why we're doing this. Hmm? You're not the first person who's come to me. Oh. So why'd you do it? Why not? Excuse me, Miss Shaw. May I speak with you for a moment? Yes, Dr. Valenti. I think we have to talk about your grading system. Yes. Well, we don't do this here. You mean we haven't done this here? Miss Shaw, students don't respond without grades. But my students are responding just fine. Why don't we discuss this in my office? Why not? And there you had it. Catch you in class, Kevin. So much for the great leap forward of 1972. So as she and Kevin are kind of talking about the whole grading system, uh, the principal comes up and he has to speak with her. And he's like, you know, I don't know what you did prior to coming here, but this grading system of yours, that's just not how we do things here. We, we don't fly this way. And of course he notices Kevin there. So he's like, perhaps we should discuss this in, in my office. And, of course, you know, she's like, well, what else can she do? That's her boss, you know. She has to do it. So she just looks at Kevin, kind of like, huh, yep. Nobody's ready for change, I guess. You know, it's always... I honestly think that if it's having a positive effect on the students, like, say they're doing a lot, lot better, their grades are improving every and everything... I say keep it. I mean, I know that's not how the system works. You got guidelines and procedures and all that stuff. But if she can have a positive effect and make these kids want to learn, like, they are enjoying it. She's treating them not, like, she's not talking down to them. She's just talking to them almost like they're her peers. You know, she's talking to them like they're going to be adults soon in another couple of years. So... These kids have been, you know, talked to as children for the majority of their life. So if you talk to them in a way that they can understand, I think things will go a lot better. So Kevin's in English class. He's kind of waiting for Miss Shaw to come in. And just pretty much he thinks, yeah, it's going to be bad news because she had to talk to the principal. So Before we dig in. I'd like to tell you about a very interesting conversation I had with Dr. Valenti this morning. Or, rather, one he had with me. I was informed that I had broken several important school regulations. Now, according to policy, it is required that each of you receive a traditional grade. So, therefore, I have decided that all of you will be getting traditional grades. There goes my pee. I couldn't believe it. With 
one little wrinkle. For your next report cards, each of you will decide your own grade. Any comments? And of course, we had only one. So as you heard in the clip, she had a conversation, well, more like the principal, who's a doctor, so he's got a PhD, okay? Um, he tells her, you have to change, you have to go by the procedures, the guidelines that we set out for you. They have to have specific traditional letter grades. And she says, we're just, we're going to go back to that, but here's a little wrinkle, as she calls it. You, for the next report card that comes out, you get to choose your letter grade. And of course all the kids erupt in, you know, excitement. They're like, yes, sweet. Oh my God, I'm so getting an A. I'm giving myself an A. Um, there are so many things that could go wrong. Um, I think in a way it's like you give yourself what you feel you deserve, but... I will also give you what I feel you you know based on your work and everything and I, I I mean I think that's how she should do it like yes you can grade yourself but I will also be looking at your work and seeing you know giving you my grade and then overall what that grade comes out to so you know like 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 a curve or something like that I would think so it's interesting I mean and she knows in a way that could backfire. I mean, she she knows that. You know, every kid's going to want to give themselves an A, regardless of the amount of work and effort they put into their this curriculum. So in the next scene, uh, the kids are all having class outside. They're lounging. They're having a great time. They're just relaxing. One person's chilling, relaxed on the park bench there. And people are just sprawled out. Having a grand time. Love this class. They love this class. And Kevin says, you know, instead of lectures, they had discussions. Like, yes, open up a discussion for the kids to be able to, you know, let their ideas flow. And, I mean, that's amazing, you know, argue and everything with your, your classmates. Have, you know, let out what you're feeling. And, and thinking and everything in a regular classroom setting it's so structured that they want regular answers they don't want you to speak your mind they want correct answers but at least with this class you know she's giving them the freedom and treating them like soon-to-be adults I would love this class she is so inspiring she is not negative in any way. And it's kind of, you know, Kevin, adult Kevin's narrating this and everything like that. And one of the, uh, the brainy boy, the boy with the glasses, I, you kind of hear a little bit of what he's saying, something about not living up to others' expectations. And that's, yes, I agree wholeheartedly with that. You have one life to live in this world. Do not set yourself Set that bar based on what other people expect of you. If you live your life according to what other people want, in my mind, that's not really living. That's not really living. 
you're living your life how they think, how they see that you should be. Like, no, no. It's like, you have, they, you, they have their own life, you have your own life, you have your own decisions, your own choices to make. So, of course, while she's con conducting this class and everything, um, the principal is kind of just watching this and everything, and of course, he's probably going to be like, no, you need to have class inside. I mean, he's not Daperna Stickler, he's not a stickler like that. But I think he's a little unsettled that her methods are kind of of teaching are a little bit controversial and not those of a traditional teacher. All right, now we're moving to gym class, and we got that dang rope. Oh, my God. I don't think I ever had to do that in school. I really don't think I had to. I, oh, can you imagine the rope burn and everything? Ugh. In my mind, I think if they they probably have gloves like synthetic like type of gloves for that kind of stuff. I mean, if they got gloves for like rock climbing and stuff like that, then they should have gloves for you know climbing a rope. All right, let's hear what Paul has to say on this whole matter. I didn't think he was in that class, or he might be in that class just a different hour. Not that all the discourse was positive. I can't believe she's letting you bozos choose your own grades. <clears throat> We're responsible students. Oh, is that so? What are you going to give yourselves? Gee, let me see. I uh, think I'll give myself an A. I know it. It's madness. Okay, A+. Plus. Apparently, opinion on this question was divided into two camps. The revolutionaries and the slugs. Come on, Paul, admit it. You're jealous. No, I'm not. <laughs> I don't think it's fair, that's all. To who? To whom? Sorry. I mean, what if every teacher did something like this? Well, he's right. It ruined the curve. You get a B. Still, it was clear this was one issue that wasn't going to just disappear. They're not going to let her get away with this, you know. Who's not? The school. The administration? Come on, oh, get off it. She knows what she's doing. Oh, which is? So, Paul, I guess he does not take that class, and he, of course, has reservations about it. He's like, this is a crock of garbage. You know, I've, you know, he's like, yeah, of course you bozos are all going to give yourself A's. And he just, like, he also brings up, but Kevin would understand, like, yeah, of course the administration is gonna, they're gonna kind of come down on that whole thing. I mean, Kevin would have to realize that. There's gonna be opposition there. You know, you can make your own rules, but it's whether or not you're gonna be able to, I mean, you can do what you want within, you know, the proper guidelines. And Kevin is even, you know, he's going to speak to Miss Shaw. I mean, he thinks probably she doesn't know, like, oh, you know, is this really allowed? Can you do this? So, um, I'm going to play this clip. Miss Shaw? Obviously, I needed more clarification. You got a minute? My time is your time. What's on your mind? Well, it's about, you know, the grades. Yeah. You see, people are talking about it, 
and they just can't believe I let a bunch of bozos like you handle something like that. What, was this woman clairvoyant? Yeah. Well, it is kind of different, you know. And what's wrong with that? Well, nothing. Except we can't all get A's, right? I see. And is that what you're going to give yourself? Really? No. I guess not. Big decision, right? Makes you think, and that's good. My guess is, when the time comes, I'm gonna have to beg you guys to break even with the seeds. And that's when I realized. She had more than a lesson plan. She had a whole concept. Tell you what. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Talk it over. Sure. So, she pretty much says, you know, you guys can give you yourselves the grades you want, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to be giving you the grades I feel you deserve, and we'll kind of, you know, combine them to whatever it averages out to. You know, Kevin, I mean, she's pretty much got an answer for everything that Kevin's thrown at, thrown at her. And he's just like, thinking, wow, she's clairvoyant, because... Every worry he has, she pretty much knows what it is, and she's like, she's got an answer for it, and, and it's just like, Kev, she speaks teenagers, she knows what you get, she was once her, in the same situation as being a student, like, probably four years ago, so, she's still relatively young, so she's been there, she knows what it's like, that's how... She understands where you're coming from. I think that is, I think that is good in a way that they're young so they can, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word. Um, hold on. I mean, I got to think of this word. Relate. That's it. So she can kind of relate to them on their level. She's not, like I said, she's not talking down to them. She's talking to them point blank as they should be talked to. But she's giving them pretty much a, a clear open pictures and you know, you know, the cho that's, you know, the choice you make and everything like that. Like, whatever. Hmm. Anyway, she does invite him like, hey, let's go out for coffee. We can talk some more about this. She's just really, she's opening his eyes to what the world can, has to offer and just, you know, thinking for yourself and all that stuff. And really, like, challenging your own thoughts. Like, just don't go based on what you read and everything like that. Like, search, like, a, br like, broad, um, more broader, I guess, with, with your thinking. Just reach farther out, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Don't be limited to just that small circle of, you know, what, a schoolroom teaches you, but, like, push your mind out there and really, I mean, Kevin's at that age, like I said, um, he's at that age, he's gonna be graduating in a couple of years, and he's gonna be out in the real world, and she's just kind of giving him, you know, a taste of, you know, opening his mind and everything to new ideas and, you know, form your own opinions. That afternoon, a couple of things happened. I had my first 
Cappuccino? How is it? I'm making good here. And I got to know Miss Shaw. So what do you think? Huh? About the class, what do you think? Oh, I like it. Yeah, I like it too. We talked for hours about football and dating, and of course about books. My dad gave me a copy of The Red Mask once, and I thought he'd never read a book like it. And he, and it was like falling into another world. I didn't want to come up for air, and I read it over and over until I broke the spine. And my dad had to just keep taping it. And the amazing part was, it was never boring. first cappuccino and of course she does a little thing with her finger you know near her nose like you got a little on your lip there you know um and you know they um they talk about everything you know dating football just literature and it's just it's so great like he's having a conversation with an adult who's not talking to him like a teenager that's gotta be really, really a great feeling to be able to have an open dialogue with somebody who like that. Cause if you think about it, he can learn quite a bit from her. She's been out in the real world for four years. She's gone to college and everything like that. So she can just, you know, give him a heads up. Like, hey, here's what maybe you can expect a little of, you know, this and everything like that. So Kevin's just kind of hanging out on his bed popping the football up in the air and catching it and everything like that and just contemplating just all of the stuff that he's learned. So he mentions he had two other, he had a total of three cappuccinos. Channels. Like, yeah, you probably do got a little bit of a caffeine buzz going there, buddy. <laughs> so while on a caffeine buzz, Kevin decides to pick up that copy of Ivanhoe. Is he going to read it? Maybe. Yeah, Kevin opens that book, and that print is really, really small. I could, oh my god. It's like small to the point of mass market paperbacks, where the print is so small you gotta squint just to read it, and it hurts your eyes. Maybe that's just me. So the next day in class, uh, the principal, I don't know his name, comes in, asks to speak to Miss Shaw. She's like, but I'm in the middle of the class. He's like, oh, this will just take a minute. Yeah, he's gonna let her go. He's gonna terminate her. This sucks. This really, really sucks. Just because she's a teacher and doesn't want to adhere to the confines of the curriculum? Come on. You gotta have a little bit of breathing room for change. So before she heads out to speak to the principal, she looks at the class and says, Before, um, while I'm gone, why don't you guys write a paragraph about whatever's on your mind? Just... Felicia, of course... Dum dum. He's like, oh, what should it be about? Sweetie, she just said whatever's on your mind, okay? Make something up. I don't care. Randy <laughs> is loving that recliner or whatever that comfy seat is back there. He is like asleep. Okay, everybody, turn in your papers. 
I can see genius has been burning. I'll really enjoy reading these. no sense in keeping you in the dark. So, here goes. Dr. Valenti and I had a talk. Seems he got a call from the school board. So he sat me down and explained that from now on I must follow state guidelines as they pertain to curriculum, grading, the whole thing. His arguments were well thought out and reasonable. And he left it up to me to decide what I wanted to do. And the way she said it, we all knew what it meant. A fight to the finish between Miss Shaw and the system. A battle of right versus might. So I've decided. This is my last day. She was teaching a class? The next minute? Where are you going? Sorry, Kevin. I have to do this. You can't just leave, can you? I'm afraid they didn't give me a choice. Well, look, if it's about the grades, that doesn't matter. You give us grades? It's okay. It's not just the grades. Well, then if it's Ivan Hope, hey, I already read it. Kevin, it's really very simple. I'm a teacher, but they don't want me to teach. Not the way I can, so I won't. And then she said something I'll never forget. It's just not worth it. Not worth it. And even though I'd heard it, I just couldn't believe my ears. It's not worth it. I know you understand, don't you? maybe I should have about the hassles about the frustrations but all I could think of was she was walking out on us what's she doing she's sticking into plenty that's what she's
virtuous or just, but through some great... I guess in the end, Miss Shaw did what was best for her. After all, no compromises, no regrets. The only thing is, she didn't do what was best for us. Whom, however, succumbs to great misfortune. But even today, I don't know who to be angry at. Random her? Or the system that drove her away? So as you heard in the clip, um, she decides to resign, um, and she says, you know, this will be my last day. She walks out, Kevin, um, heads out to kind of, I don't know, you know, kind of confront her a little bit, like, why are you doing this? And, you know, if it's about the grades, just give us letter grades. If it's about Ivanhoe, I mean, I read it already. He doesn't, you know, none of the kids want her to leave. She's a teacher that inspired them. And she says, you know, the principal, he did not, the school board, they didn't give me a choice in this. You know, I want to teach, but they don't want me to teach in the way that I want to teach. In a way that she can reach the kids through these methods. And, you know, Kevin's hurt. It's like, you can't just leave. I mean, what about us? And... You know, it's up to her. It's her, you know, if she can't teach how she wants to teach, well, she's going to find a place that she can. Um, she's not going to, you know, um, adhere by what the school board wants, then Kevin's going to, and they do, they get stuck with a boring-ass fucking droning, monotone English teacher, which sucks, but... Kevin's not the only one that comes out to see her off as she drives away. You know, all of the kids are like, yes, right on, Miss Shaw. Stick it to the school system. Seriously. That is a lesson learned, kids. All right? If you're not going, if you can't, if your methods are what well, you want to do are above what you know, the rules, then find a place that's going to let you do that. School, they have their, the way of how they do things. They're not going to bend. Um, yeah. It's sad, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, and I did say, you know, after the episode, I would talk about some of the teachers that I had that, you know, have left a lasting impression on me. Um, one of them who, what, he was my, <clears throat> excuse me, my second and third grade teacher, and he went on to eventually become a principal of an elementary school, uh, and then from there he moved on to be a superintendent of a uh, different, different city, so he's moved up, but I was lucky enough to be in his first year of teaching, and it was, you know, my class was a small class, it was, um, it was, special ed, so there's probably about maybe 12 kids, maybe less, uh, two grades, you know, second and third, and then I had them again for, um, well, I had them for second grade, and then the following year I had them for third grade. This was in, uh, 1990 and 1991, and 
you know, he was he was a great a great teacher. He just was there when you needed to talk to someone. He helped boost my self confidence and everything like that. He also had you know pool parties at his house at the end of the summer, which were awesome. And this guy has given back so much to his community and everything. It's just. You know, when, when he started teaching back in 1990, he was fresh, like, fresh out of college, like, 24, 26 years old, newly married and everything like that, and it was cool, you know, we'd have movie days and stuff like that, and he really, he, he really pushed me to be able to apply myself, and sometimes when I break down and cry in frustration, and one time I remember he, like, kind of held me in front of a mirror, and, you know, I was upset and everything. It's like, take a look at this person and everything. Tell me what you see, because I see something more here. It's very, very inspiring. Um, another uh, teacher's aide um, who I met in first grade, who I would later meet again in fourth grade, and then again when I got to high school. Um, she has been there for me. In so many ways. I still talk to her at least once a year. I, I call her up and you know, talk and everything. And, you know, both she and my uh, teacher from second and third grade, they knew my family history. They knew the difficulties with my mother and her sickness. And they really helped me out. Um, another teacher I had uh, took me out to celebrate me getting my license. She also helped with the flower arrangements for my wedding and everything like that. And let me tell you, those teachers that they're there for you when when you need someone to talk to and you still, you know, they're the ones you still can say, hey, how's it going when, when you're well have graduated from high school and you're an adult on your own and everything. And it's just, it's amazing. These, these even when you give up on yourself, they never, ever give up on you. And they help point you in the right direction when you've fallen. When you've, you know, you take one step forward and two steps back. They're there to help push you forward and steer you in the right direction and encourage you when you want to give up. That is what a teacher is. They open your mind to all of the possibilities and make you really work towards, you know, in, in, in a way in becoming the person, you know, the person that you're meant to be. And they're there. They're like a, basically teachers, if you think about it, they're like a second parent, almost. They get you five days a week, nine months out of the year. They're like your second parent. It's, it's sad that, you know, not all teachers, not all teachers are like that. I know that. I've had some that haven't been exactly the nicest, but I will always remember the ones that, that had the most impact and influence and just were there for me when I needed them. And that, in my mind, that's a teacher. That is a teacher. The one that goes above and beyond. That almost loves you as much as your own parents. I meant as far as, as a teacher would care for a student. That's what I'm referring to. So, as far as a wonderly... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm going to tie all that into my wonderling words of wisdom when it comes to teachers and everything. Um... As far as the Wonder, your Flower Power Petal episode rating, I'm going to give this one 
I'm going to give it a three out of five. What I liked, I liked seeing Paul. I liked um, seeing Wayne and, you know, Dad, you know, with the whole thing with the grades and everything. I loved Miss Shaw. Everything about her, just her influence on Kevin and just talking to the kids, not like they're teenagers, but talking to them like they want to be talked to, like young adults that are ready to face the world and opening their eyes to just being more, you know, challenging things and, and not taking everything at face value and everything like that and just seeing that there's more outside in the world and just to be the best that you can be. Um, what I didn't like, I did not like the, <laughs> I didn't like the fact that they changed the combinations over the weekend without a real reason. The fact that Kevin even had to ask and yet Paul knew, like, um, no, there should have been a reason as to why they did that. And that janitor was zero help. Also, um, the principal, I guess I can't really fault him for wanting to go by the guidelines of how, you know, the curriculum and everything like that. But I just, I don't, mm, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. He's not, he's not bad like DePerna. He's not bad like DePerna. DePerna was a fucking asshole. We all know that. But... This guy actually is, um, I think he, he played George Costanza's, like, one of his bosses on Seinfeld. I thought, you know, he was familiar. Alright, let's talk about the next episode for next Friday, Season 5, Episode 14, entitled Private Butthead, which aired on February 5th, 1992. Wayne goes to take his SATs, but shocks his family when he decides to try and join the Army instead. With the Vietnam War still going on, the Arnolds are afraid that Wayne could be shipped off and into the war. This is definitely a Wayne episode. It's nice once in a while that, you know, Karen gets her episodes. You know, her episodes usually focus around her and Jack. Um, every once in a while. We, we rarely get Wayne, a Wayne-featured episode, so this is going to be good. This episode was directed by Nick M-A-R-C-K. Um, I wonder if he's done other episodes of The Wonder Years. Has he? He directed six. Six episodes. He directed The Unnatural, The Cost of Living, The Sixth Man, Buster, and The Wonder Years Clip Show, and Private Butthead. All right. Let's say hey to some Wonderling listeners for the week all right we have saudi arabia bethlehem pennsylvania whittier california harrisburg pennsylvania central district hong kong roebling new jersey moscow russian federation mountain view california st petersburg florida Bakersfield, California, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Louisville, Kentucky, Bloomsbury, United Kingdom, Port Said, Egypt, I'm sorry if I got that wrong, Centerville, Maryland, Pakistan, Cornell, Australia, Brighton, Michigan, Portugal, Millville, New Jersey, Minnetonka, Minnesota, Los Angeles, California, Jediah, Saudi Arabia, Sarasota, Florida, Graysonville, Maryland, Twinsburg, Ohio, Evergreen Park, Illinois, San Diego, California, and Santa Maria, California. 
All right, everyone. I look forward to talking again about Wayne's episode next week. It's going to be... It's sad. It is sad. We get to see a rare moment between Jack and Wayne. We really don't get to see them together too much. Unless it's like at the dinner table with everybody else. Um, yeah. So, also, I just put up the first Kevin Jobs edition since it's June 1st. The episode was The Cost of Living. The episode for next week is <clears throat> Excuse me. The Hardware Store. After that, it's going to be... That's from Season 5. The next one, Season 6, Sex and Economics. And then the last one is going to be from Season 6 called Kevin Delivers. So look forward to those coming out alongside other episodes of Season 5. Um, also coming up in June, on the 21st, we have Season 3... Uh, I cannot talk. Season 6, Episode 21, which is entitled Summer. I'm doing that in honor of the first day of summer, and then in July, the 4th of July is going to be the series finale, even though I'm still almost done with season 5. So, alright guys, have a wonderful weekend. I will be back, you'll uh, be back here next Friday. Bye-bye. <laughs>